Hello and welcome to the Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians in the world. We are back with our second week in the series with The Last Poets. The Last Poets are considered to be the godfathers of hip-hop, bringing poetry onto the turbulent scene in the 1960s. For over 50 years, they have persevered, keeping their intent and mission alive as they seek to enlighten all people about racism, social justice, and personal growth through poetry and music. Early this year, Umar bin Hassan, Abiyadun Oyewole, and Baba Don Babatunde gathered at the Ropadope Room at the invitation of renowned bassist and producer Jamaluddin Takuma. There, they listened for the first time to the full album that they had worked on for years. It was an emotional and historic moment, all recorded on camera as a part of the 21 Soul video series. Shortly afterward, I was able to reach out to each of the last poets to record a podcast as I wanted to learn more about these unique and powerful men. It was difficult to focus as I was simply in awe of their power. And so here we are in week two, my interview with Umar bin Hassan. All right. We are here at the Station Tapes at 21 Soul, and I have the distinct pleasure today of speaking with Mr. Umar bin Hassan. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Um, there's so much that I want to ask you. Um, we, we had a wonderful meeting. Thank you for coming up uh, to, uh, to our space, um, and that was uh, truly uh, a beautiful day. Yeah, but and that that meeting has been with me since then, man. I'm just I'm still thinking about what I heard on that uh, on that album, man. It's just a it's an amazing step. And the fact that I have felt me and Jalaluddin and Paula Cummings because I think I, I I told everybody I got mad when it was being done. I think about two years ago, and I just walked away. But then to get the call from Doom that he, I told to meet you guys and him, I said, "Oh, well, let me see what's happening." And I am totally, I'm just so uh, pleased and present that I came and heard it, man. Because it's, it's something really special. It really is something special. I agree. I agree. Um, I'm going to ask some questions. They're, 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 they're probably uh, uh, will sound like I know very little, and that's not too far from the truth. But I want to, you know, I want to, I want to help people understand that that listen to this podcast, you know, um, and and may not be familiar with the history. Uh, to understand what the last poets mean uh, and and what it's all about. It was May nineteenth and nineteen sixty eight in Mount Morris Park. A bunch of young men came together. As you know, Abby O'Doone was one of them, and Gavin Kane was one of them, and David Nelson was one of them. So they came together on the premise that you know the fact that Martin Luther King had been killed and there was so much stuff going on in the black communities, um, you know, that they should get together and do some poetry. But now they all had been doing poetry uh, themselves as individuals in Harlem. And the people would tell them, why don't y'all get together and try to do something together? And so they did. And so um, Galen Kane, David Nelson, and Abiel Doom got together and they did. Uh, and they formed the little group at that time. But they wanted to... You know, it wasn't, they, had, they just came together, but they had a little forum and a way of doing the poetry because at that time at Howard University, the back college in Washington, D.C., there was a, 
there's another saying, although shall I go, are you ready, niggas? You got to be ready. And so that's how they came on stage, using that little phrase, are you ready, niggas? You got to be ready. And then they would stop, and then one would do his poem, and after that poem was done, they'd go back into that uh, phrase again. Are you ready, niggas? You got to be ready. And so everybody said, wow, wow, want y'all? That's cool, man. Y'all got something going on. I want y'all to stay together. So they decided to form the group at that time. Now, David Nelson has David Nelson had been listening to a brother by Little Billy Cocosili, who was a South African poet who just died recently, and whom we finally got to meet uh, about two years about three years ago. Little Billy Cocosili, and he had this poem called "A Walk Towards the Sun." And in that poem, he stated, "This would be the last age and era for this and that and this and gunshots and politics." So therefore, we are the last poets of this era. That's what. Um, David Nelson came up with. And so, you know, they became the last poets. And I met them. I came into contact with them at a, uh, a black African uh, festival in Antioch, Ohio, Antioch College in Ohio. And I was head of security. And, you know, one thing led to another. I met you and we went through little changes. But when I got into the, uh, into the, into the uh, room and heard them doing their poetry, they just blew my mind away. I know I wanted to become a last poet again, but I had to go back to Akron, Ohio and make some changes, make some um, breaks and things. And so I decided to just leave. I left, just took off. People didn't know I was leaving. My sisters didn't know I was leaving. A lot of my friends didn't know that. And I had no money because I was doing, I was somewhat of a, a radical or terrorist. It's one of the, the guys at the plant who told me when they fired me. When they saw me, my picture in the paper with my hands in there and the National Guardsman had a guard on me. So I had to get out of town. So I, but I lost my job. They fired me. I had another job. I had no money. So I pawned my sister's record player at the time for $25. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a, ticket at that, a ticket at that time out of um, Akron, Ohio cost $15. And I got the, the record player. The money that I sent in was $25. So I paid for the ticket. So that when I stopped in Pittsburgh halfway, I um, bought some lead, $978 worth of food. I only had 22 cents left. So when I wound up on Pole Authority in 19, uh, February 1969, I just had 22 cents in my pocket and some poetry in my, you know, in a bag. So were you already uh, writing and reciting poetry at that time? Yeah, I was. I was. I was doing a little writing here and there, you know, because uh, how I started writing poetry was I used to be a shoeshine boy. And, you know, and I had this competitor named Mitchell Lindsay. Not only was he shining shoes, but he was selling a jet magazine and selling the, the neighborhood, the community, um, black newspaper, and he was shining shoes. So he, he was just like, I, I mean, I'm I mean, he was making more money than I could do because he would always tell his customers, well, you can read my jet or my paper while I shine your shoes. So I had to find a way, I had to find a way to beat that and gain some of my customers back. And not only that, but, you know, move ahead of them and make the money. So I just came up with little things in my head, like I popped that rag and I clipped that brush, a dime and a nickel ain't too much. And like, shoe shine, shoe shine, can't be beat. Shoe shine, shoe shine, give your soul a fee. A treat, so I started nice. poetry, and so my customers, you know, and it was women really better because women love expressive men. 
I, I gathered and over there with Low League and Spencer Chester. He would love me doing the poetry. They would tell their boyfriends and make their boyfriends would get um, signs, shoe signs from me. So, I, you know, that was when I started. And then in high school, during high school, I, I was writing poetry. And in my senior year in, in um, high school, I wrote a poem about the two principals, the assistant one and the, the, the head principal, and a lot of people I didn't like in the school, and it blew everybody's mind, you know. So I was, you know, I was writing poetry here. And like I said, when I landed in um, New York that, uh, that February of 69, I had a couple of poems I had written. Nice. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that about the about the shoeshine and the way that you began, because uh, Abiy Odun mentioned very specifically in our video interview uh, your your vocal delivery and, and cadence, if you will. So it seems to tie back that, that you started, you know, almost immediately as as, you know, delivering poetry. Yeah, because you know, I, I, because I, I, you know, I was in a search a family situation at that time. But my father was—he was a brilliant musician, but he was just hadn't got it all together. That you know, he was losing himself, and he would be going through changes, and he wouldn't be around at times. So I had to get in the studio eight years old with a shoe sign box to help bring food in sometimes and feed my um, brother and sister. And the cadence, you know, that I picked up was like from the way the people talked in it. In the street, from maybe the holes, the pimps talk to their holes, or you know, the tavern uh, owners talk to their customers. So there was just a canine. Every time I came up on Perkins on Howard Street and Perkins Avenue every Saturday, there, there was so much music coming out of the jukeboxes. Like you know, I I would got into that music to the sound of that music and the rhythm of that music. So that's how my cadence came in. And like I say, street people have a whole different way of of, of communicating with people. It's very rhythmic and it's it's almost like musical the way they talk to each other. Sometimes it'd be bullshit, but that's the way they talk to each other. So that's, I picked that up a lot as a young kid, you know. Kind of dramatic. Some of them be very dramatic, and some of them can be very sharpful, and some of them can just be, be jive. So that's why I get that way of expressing myself. That's beautiful. Um, so I, I, just stepping back for a second, so the origin of The Last Poets and the poetry itself, right out of the gate, was was speaking to a black audience in the United States and, and, and that political and social commentary was there right from the beginning, huh? Yes, yes, it was. Because, you know, like I said, there was so much going to the um, black community time because, you know, we had certain leaders. We had jive leaders. We had very real leaders. So we were speaking about the jive leaders and and the real leaders because that's how niggas are scared of revolution came about, you know, because I was talking about niggas who are scared of revolution. That there's a phrase um, in the poem, you know, Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are jive, jive, jive. Niggas are very jive. Like niggas jive in them after, oh, I forgot the part of that poem. Anyway, it talks about how the jive niggas who were so-called intellectuals were stealing and jive in the community. So uh, that became something in, in a poem. What was the reaction at that time? I mean, you're calling, pe- you're calling people out and you're calling them to action. Uh, what was the reaction back then to that? Because, I mean, that's... Well, you, see, yeah. we, we didn't worry about those who were, who were jiving and, and BSing us because the people loved us. There were groups who were trying to inculcate us or bring us into their into the organizations like the, the Black Panthers, you know. you know, We knew Phineas and Asada very well. You know, Phineas and Jamal Joseph, they, they wanted us to become part of the crew. And then the Nation of Islam, Louis Farrakhan and certain ministers, they wanted us to be part of their group. But um, 
but because they know that whoever had the last chords had the voice or the ears of the people because the people love us. But we made, I mean, I don't know if it was a constant decision at, at that age, but me and Jalal, we made a decision to stay independent. So in case somebody wants to come and do a benefit for them, we can say, yeah, we can come to a benefit for you because we're not, you know, closed in or hung up by who we are in this organization. So we kept ourselves free in the business so everybody could have a piece of us when they needed to use us for certain situations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that spirit of independence. I wanted to ask you, I, I forgot to mention this last week, we had a little tie-in here. Um, there, there's a great video that was submitted to us from uh, Mr. Eddie Palmieri, uh, and we tracked the arc of his uh, c- career back at that time that led him from salsa music into the, the, the classic album Harlem River Drive. Um, yeah. But he had been invited to Sing Sing Prison by Felipe Luciano, um, mm-hmm. and did, did you, you know, was, what was happening back then between the, the Latin community and, and the black community? Well, see, you know, see, I forgot to tell you too, Felipe came into the group after David and, um, and Jalal, I mean, after David and Abel Dune and Gallon Kingford, he came in, cause I think David Nelson was the first lead. He came in, replaced uh, David Nelson. So that was a group I saw at any college in Ohio. It was Felipe, uh, Gallen Kane and Doom. So and then a whole then a whole lot of them left after that. It wound up being me and Jalal. And so no you know, one of those Jones coming down and on the subways, it was just me and him. After I mean Abiel Doom had left and Gallen Kane had left and David Nelson left. So me well it was been me, Abiel Doom and Jalal, who made that first album. But after that, you know, Doom left. Him and Jalal couldn't get along. But for, but, but at that time, you know, back in those days, after, uh, the African-Americans and the, and the, and, the, uh, and, the, and the Cubans and the Puerto Ricans, we all were working together because, you know, we all realized that they were coming at us because of our color and because we were people of color. So we worked together a lot back then. And we worked with, um, with uh, the group that Felipe was in and... Uh, uh, so a whole lot of other uh, Afro-Cuban and uh, Puerto Rican people. You know, we wouldn't add each other's throats. You know, we were all working together sometimes. That's a good, that's, that's you know, I, I hope that that, uh, that people who listen to this and the people who are involved in, in the movement today uh, that are just coming to this and, and starting to understand the deep history and, and, of course, the urgency is still there. Well, have, 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 you, been, have you been letting people listen to it? Uh, I I have a very select audience that has heard this so far. Um, to to me, and so what do they what do they think of it? Oh my God, everybody's just blown away. Yeah. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, you well, know. Okay then. Go ahead. I mean, for, first of all, it's it's it, it opens up for people who 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 are not familiar with the history. Yeah. The 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 words are so powerful, but they're but they're delivered in a in a, in a way that anybody can understand because of the, the musicality of this record. Um, mm. And the right away, they're just like, what, what is, what is this? I need to know what this is. And for people who, who, who know it, who know the last poets, and, and I have to say it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a much wider audience than even I expected. I, you know, um, there are a lot of people who just go, Oh my gosh, the last poets, you know, what what's it sound like? And, Oh, 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 oh no! Back in the day, man, a, a lot of white, a lot of white kids were back in the day. Some of the hippies 
listened to us and, you know, and came up into our, some of the guys, some of the guys who were on the run sometimes from the police would come and sneak into our, <laughs> to our shows, and we would say, yeah, they would tell us, yeah, man, we love what you guys are doing. Yeah, we love what y'all doing. Well, keep on doing it. I said, yeah, we love what y'all doing, too. Blow it all up. Blow all that shit up. And so, so we, you know, we lived about young white kids back then that were hip to us. And a lot of white people listened to us back then. And now we have this whole audience over in, in Europe that is just um, madly in love with us, you know, every time we go over to Europe, you know. So they were, they were, they were, you know, there were people, even white people listened to us back in the days who were our supporters, big supporters in terms of ours, you know? Good, good. Yeah, and, and I, I wanted to hear your comments on, on how you feel about, you know, what's happening with uh, the younger folks today here in the United States, you know, around the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, does it feel different? I, no, man, I'm so proud of these young people today, especially after those young people down in the school in Florida came out and made it like just we're activists now for peace and gun control. I mean I was I was really amazed at those kids. They were so they were so intelligent and knew what they wanted to do and they believed in what they were doing. Then we have the young black kids from the um uh the other movement uh, themselves, you know, black you know excuse me, you know, from them they are working and they all be working together now. I think it is the young kids, it is the young people who gonna make a change in America. We're gonna bring forth a change and it's because they're tired of being told who they can marry and who they can't marry and so they, and I am I am one hundred percent and I always tell them if there's anything I can do, come and speak for you or talk to you or talk for you or with you, I'll come do it because I respect what they're doing, man. It's, 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 the next world is theirs. The next country, this country is theirs in the future. And they know that. And they're making a very viable and valuable uh, uh, trip toward making it become real. And I respect and appreciate that. I hear you. I, I was I too was stunned when I saw Emma Gonzalez and, and, and David Hogg and those, those young people speaking in front of hundreds of thousands of people. <laughs> at, at yeah, 15, yeah, 16 they, years they, old. And they were so articulate, and, 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 and the words kept flowing. They didn't get stuck on They knew what they wanted to talk about, and they knew what they wanted to reach. And that just blew my mind. But I respect them, man. I, I am proud of them. I'm proud to be in this country to see these young, you know, Black Lives Matter children and those uh, school kids all working together. I, they're going to do this. I know they are. It's a beautiful thing. Um, I, I want to talk about the the positive nature of this record i mean there are some very serious points um where you're speaking truth uh bearing witness if you will and and really telling people what what the situation is uh here in in america uh but there are moments where uh love and 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 unity come into the mix um how how did how did you get there? Well, we're all older, man. You know, we've all we like, you know, seven years old doing this. And we're all older now. We've been through our changes. We've got our little moments of you know standoff and distance from you know other groups and other people. But you know, we realize now it's just it's a human thing. It's not about color. It's not about you know race or color. It's about you know people in America trying to get together to make the country better. And, it, and and you can be see little you can always see little moments of that happening now you know on TV I mean it's advertising and all crazy but it's immigration thing on TV <laughs> you know you see the white man with a black woman or or the uh, black man with a white woman so it's, you see it happening now and um, it's coming about and because you know it's time for change you know 
I mean, ignorance and stupidity can only last so long. You can't live that life in that way or be, you can't be pointed in that direction forever. It has to change, man. It has to change. And then especially we're supposed to be the leaders of the world and culture and this and that and everything. Things have to change, man. I hear you. I hear you. And when we have, you know, we have to change because you know, other people realize because, you know, I mean, I, you know, like me being on drugs, man, I was out there for a while on the drugs and the alcohol again. And I, you know, while I'm trying to, you know, you know, trying to change myself and go for that, I come to realize that basically being a human being, whether you're black or gay or homosexual or white, is that you just want to be loved, appreciated, and respected, you know. And that's, you know, everybody, all of us have that, that request and that, 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 that dream in us. We just want to be loved, respected, and appreciated. Man, that's a human thing, you know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I think, yeah, and, 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 and I'm so proud to, to be able to work with you and, and, and to release this and to hear you say those things. I think that people, um, you know, especially younger people will, will, will find great uh, education in, in, uh, in researching the history. I think, I think they're going to love this album. I think the young people are going to really love this album. I really do. Yeah, and they can have fun. They can dance to it. <laughs> they can dance to it. They can dance to it. I'm glad you said that. I won't say that. But what's that old line? The old line is, uh, "If you if I can't dance, I don't want to be part of your revolution." Uh, Emma, Emma Goldman, I think maybe. Yeah. 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 Hey, okay. All right. Uh, do you want to say anything about the legacy of the last poets as we finish up here? No, no, man. I am just glad um, that we are here. And still alive, and people still are listening to us. And you know, we pay some dues here, we pay some dues there, but we're glad because I think it's always business trying to get the people's minds and souls and their souls and hope they can understand what we all are basically human beings. Like I say, we just want to be loved, appreciated, and respected. So we, 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 we're glad that we're still here. We've been through, I've been through my changes, everyone has been through hers. So, but that album, man, like you don't know, but that album just made us realize. How for us to have gone through what we've gone through and to be here and know that that's what's next for us and to hear that just made us so feel so good, man. It really did. And I want to thank you guys for just taking up, you know, the baton to try to give out to. I really do. I really want to thank you all for that. Uh, you're welcome. It's our it's our it's our pleasure and an honor to do so. Uh, Umar bin Hassan from the Last Poets. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Louis. You have a wonderful day, man. You too. I was absolutely floored by the restless mind of Umar bin Hassan. His positive mindset persists in the midst of very heavy reflections on the country and the world. The Last Poets are the real thing. Their contribution to opening minds continues with the upcoming release of Transcending Toxic Times, an epic work produced by Jamaluddin Takuma. Next week we visit with Babadan Babatunde as we continue our series on The Last Poets. Thank you all for tuning in to the station tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21Soul. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google, and wherever else pods are cast. Our video interview series is available on YouTube at Ropadoke99, and you can find out more about the artists we speak with at ropadoke.com. Thanks to the 21Soul team, Nick Perry and Steven Jashevsky on production, Larry Yetman on video, and the great Fabian Brown on the creativity and positive energy tip. Our theme song is from Red Hook Soul by saxophonist Michael Blake. 
You can find out more about Michael Blake at michaelblake.bandcamp.com or on your favorite streaming service. Finally, thanks to all of you who keep the flame burning for independent quality music. To the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and to those of you who are taking the time to listen, we hope you enjoy the show.